0: Buddy, and welcome back to the football absurdity podcast my name is jeff crisco i'm here with my co-host mike valverde and walker kelly mike walker how's your day going today
1: well it's it's going pretty dang good since we have jt o'sullivan
0: on well you, bl- yeah. you blew the special guest we're recording earlier than <laughs> usual because we have a special guest it's uh i Jesuit myself. high school carmichael <laughs> california uh Played in the NFL, NFL Europe and CFL, uh, runs the QB School, my favorite YouTube channel. I think it's the best count on YouTube, JT O'Sullivan. JT, welcome in. How are you doing today?
2: What's up, fellas? I appreciate it. Yeah. No, I'm uh I'm fired up to get on here and talk a little ball.
0: Yeah. So JT, you're the first person that we've talked to on this podcast that I actually drafted in a fantasy football league. So uh, <laughs> Back in back in 08 when you played for the Niners two quarterback league, you were you were one of my picks. So I've already screenshotted this to send that to the league to say, uh, you know, I've talked to somebody. So, um, JT, we're going to talk to you today about a little bit about, you know. Where you came from, I wanted to talk to you about your experience as a quarterback. We're going to talk about your offensive framework project, which Mike was really excited to talk to you about. He's going to kind of spearhead that. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the rookie quarterbacks this year, uh, which we've been saying we're very excited to talk to you about this class because this class kind of went different than any other class has ever gone with Kenny Pickett going and then we don't have any quarterbacks going until 50 picks later. So very interested to pick your brain on that. So um let's just start with uh with your time in the NFL. So the thing that I wanted to know, because you were in a, a handful of locker rooms was which was your favorite locker room to be in? Which was like the most fun or the one you learned the most from from or the one you think back on as being your favorite locker room?
2: Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean all those questions, all those little levels of that question would probably be different answers okay so my favorite my favorite locker room like friends and like the place I probably enjoyed going to work the most was probably O9 bangles that okay. helps obviously when you win okay let me <laughs> preface that yeah. like any locker room is better when you win yes uh, but that group to me was fun because it felt like everybody or many of the guys were in the same spot in life you know like maybe just starting off families not necessarily like hitting the streets as much, not to say that not, not everybody, but there was a large group of guys that were all kind of felt like we were all in the same spot, life-wise, career-wise. And so that was a, was a blast. And obviously it helps when you win every game in your division uh, to make the game, to make the year go smoothly. But that was probably my most fun group and the quarterback room was fun with the Palmer brothers, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all kind of West coast guys. And it just felt like it was an easy, easy fit. Probably the, the, the locker rooms I learned the most from were probably earlier in my career, uh, either New Orleans, when I was around uh, Jake DeLohm and Mike McCarthy, or guys that kind of, I think, intentionally maybe uh, provided a little bit more mentorship than maybe some other guys that I was around. And then there were many guys, many locker rooms, and th- this is probably not your intent of the question, but the reality is that you learn a lot of what not to do, you know, in some of the not great locker rooms, you know, mm-hmm. whether. whether you act a clown uh, around your peers or whether you say something inappropriate to the media or whether, you you know, you can just see, you know, how people roll in from the streets, uh, you know, on the off season or, you know, during the week and how to handle yourself as a true pro. And so uh, I learned a lot what not to do in, in a lot of these locker rooms early on. And I think that, you know, kind of helped me shape what I wanted the perception of me to be across the league and in the locker room. And so I was always intentional with trying to, To learn as much as I could, but I probably gravitated the most towards, you know, the offensive line. That crew was kind of, I always wanted to know where they were in the locker room. I felt like, uh, you know, it's important for the quarterbacks to intentionally kind of cultivate that relationship, but it's, uh, everyone was different to be honest with you.
0: No. Oh, okay. Well, perfect. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, the, the Bengals where everybody was sort of in the same point in life. I think that that's kind of important. And I always wonder, you know, you're getting the stats now where, you know, player X that the Buccaneers just drafted was, you know, was, is younger than Tom Brady's career. And it's like, what can those guys even talk about? You know, whereas you talk about with the Bengals, it's like, everybody was kind of in the same spot in life. So that was, a uh, yeah, that's, the. Uh, That's very interesting. And I like the idea that, you know, you learn a little bit from from everywhere that you go. But one of the places you went was NFL Europe. And that's something that doesn't really exist anymore except for the games here and there. So I was just curious what that experience was for you because it seemed like you were very successful over there in Europe. But what what was that like? Was it like a culture shock or did the NFL do a pretty good job of easing you guys in? Or what was that like over in NFL Europe?
2: Uh, I mean, there was a lot to like. And there was a lot that I probably didn't enjoy. You know, that was one of those times where, you know, you would love to have an off-season to enjoy the off-season. You know, there's no secret. I don't think that one of the best parts about being a professional athlete is the off-season. You know, the games are fun and the paychecks are great, but the off-season is pretty nice, too. And, it, you know, it, it basically takes that away. It makes your year really long. You play a lot of football. Uh, The thing that it was great for me, and the reason that I'm probably the most sad that it's gone, quarterback development-wise, is quarterbacks just don't get a chance to develop a lot during the season. You don't get practice reps. You know, the preseason is shorter and shorter. You know, you're not getting better. You're not running with the first team during those practices almost ever. And so you get to go over there and actually play and get better. And it felt like by the time I went the first time, I needed to play to get better. And so it was fun to get over there and win a little bit, have a good experience travel around now is it a little bit longer than I probably would have wanted sure did I want to go to you know training camp in Tampa Bay no you know those types of things just for me personally but I met I met a lot of great friends I traveled a lot to places I probably wouldn't travel to I had a great experience and then the second time I went over there I was really playing for my career you know I Mm -hmm. needed a place to I needed to play well enough to, to get a job and it really did it allowed me you know to basically get another half decade in the league Mike Mart saw my film and basically said, Hey, you know, come over here. You can, you can back up for us. And so it really kind of elongated my career. And so I'm always going to be thankful for that. I wish we would have won one of those world bowls, but, uh, it was good football over there. It really was good football. It wasn't, it's not NFL football. You know, mm-hmm. there's uh there's always deficiencies, whether it's size, whether it's speed, you know, team speed, but the actual reps for the quarterbacks, are are world-class and I I had a blast over there and I felt like I got a lot better and really when I came back from those two seasons I always felt like I had a real advantage because I was playing really mid-season football at the start of camp and so I felt like I always surged in those camps and had really good camps that solidified myself on a team
0: yeah one thing that I've noticed in these um these spring leagues in, in America is like with the AAF or the USFL now, or the XFL is the line play. Isn't that great? Was that something that kind of helped you fe- get a better feel in the pocket? Cause it wasn't going so well for you over there in Europe. Uh,
2: I mean, it definitely is a nice window into understanding how fast the game has to be played from within the pocket. I think you can get into bad habits, you know, and I, I don't want to, you know, kind of crap on any of the guys I used to play with, but there's a reason everybody's over there, and I think everybody knows that. And so, you know, whether you're playing with five guards or whatever it is, you know, they, they, your time clock is just not a lot. And so there are, especially when I was in Europe, there were weird rules as far as pressure, too. You couldn't bring more than five or six. You never you didn't really have to deal with hot at the line of scrimmage, but you did have to lo- deal with, you know, your whatever, for example, right guard, right tackle, you know, turning into a turnstile. Mm -hmm. And not being able to hold up on a one-on-one and just understanding the time clock of the pro game. And so for me, it really, the one thing it really solidified in my mind was anytime, you know, when I think of pass protection, I think of trying to create as many double teams as possible. And in NFL Europe, they would pressure you by bringing five guys. They could bring five and well you know, five one-on-one blocks over there with a bunch of non, you know, all pro guys is not a recipe to right. drop back and hold onto the ball forever. <laughs> oh. So you have to learn to get the ball out of your hand really quickly. And so that part of it, I think really helped me. And I, I also, I wasn't necessarily a runner by any means, but I had enough wiggle to be able to create a little bit out of structure and, and kind of make some plays that maybe weren't there, especially at the NFL Europe level where I could maybe run away from guys. Where on Sundays, you know, you you break a tackle, you get outside the pocket, and every person on defense is faster than I am. You know, so you're not running away from anybody. So it's just a different different type of game.
0: Yeah, they're all they're all right there in your face uh, when you when you break the pocket in the NFL. So uh, you mentioned NFL Europe, um, and I'm kind of bogarting this discussion, but you mentioned it kind of extended your career a little bit and. Uh, you, you got a call to be the starter after a while. You know, you were 29, I noticed, in your, when you started for the 49ers. What was that like to get that that call to be the starter? And it was, I believe, a half season with the Niners.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was pretty surreal. You get an opportunity to essentially play, go from not playing for a long, long time to getting an opportunity to play. And I just tried to, you know, suck the marrow out of that experience and make it the best I possibly could. I, I wish it would have gone, I wish I would have played better, and I wish we were better. And, you know, I I think that there were probably some scaffolding things that would have helped the process, but, you know, it was a blast. It really Mm -hmm. was a blast to go out there and play and compete and and do all those things in those big stadiums on those. You know, my first start was against Kurt Warner, you know, getting starts against guys like Donovan McNabb, uh, going into Seattle and winning, Mm -hmm. playing against a a guy I played with for a long time and have a lot of respect for with John Kitna. You know those types of battles to me were a lot of fun, and it's it's a blast to compete at the absolute highest level. You know the crazy part about that story to me, looking back on it, was that the that job was really supposed to come down to Alex Smith and Sean Hill, and they were kind of competing for that role, and uh, the whole off season. So I didn't take one rep in spring,
3: yeah.
2: one rep in a mini Jeez. camp or an off season thing, uh, and then about a week into camp. Mike was pretty pissed at the quarterback performance. Someone got, someone complained about their arm being sore. Like JT, could jump in and take the rest of the reps. And I just never stopped until the bye week that week. And so, you know, I was really fortunate to be in that situation to get an opportunity to play. Cause there's a lot of guys who go their whole career and never get that opportunity. But it was one of those things where, you know, the, the other part about it was the reason I got the opportunity was because of Mike Marks and that system and me knowing what, they wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. And so I wish I would have, and I really played like that. I played kind of, I tried to do exactly what Mike wanted us to do. And I wish there were times where I would have been like, you know what, I could kind of deviate this a little bit and maybe be a little bit more successful in my own mind. But I really felt a loyalty to Mike because that was the reason I was there. Uh, I was running his stuff. I knew his stuff. That's why I was playing. And so I probably, if I had to do it over again, I'd find a little bit of a blend between doing that stuff and then doing my own little flavor to it. But it was a blast.
0: Yeah. And um, the rivalry wasn't what it is now, but you know, you went into Seattle, beat the Seahawks. You're the only quarterback the Niners have done that has carried the team to a victory in Seattle. Everywhere else since realignment has been the defense kind of carrying it. So as a 49ers fan, I want to thank you for that.
2: <laughs> wow, I appreciate it. I think they, they might've carried us a little bit too. I think we got a pick six maybe. Which yeah, but
0: you had like 300 passing yards so, you know, every if yeah, you look at a the, good day. Yeah, if you look at the other stat lines it was a lot of uh let's just run the ball and and win uh you know 12 to 17 if we can. When the Niners won in in Seattle before and that was a shootout 33-30 I think it was. So, um thank you for that. <laughs> so, um Mike when when Mike wanted uh to get you on he, he kept talking about i want to talk about the, the offensive framework project that you're working on and i saw a little bit of it um on what you're working on but mike was really like gung-ho about this so i'm gonna let him take the lead here to talk about the offensive framework stuff that you're working with
1: yeah um so i've been like just a huge fan and i you're probably the only 49er that i actually like and jeff could attach- hey
0: hey now he <laughs> 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 to-
1: ers
0: he does <laughs>
1: I hate the Niners, um, but uh, yeah, with you, it's completely different, and I absolutely love your YouTube videos, and, and you just bring so much knowledge, uh, but the the big thing, the huge thing that, that you worked on, um, the offensive framework, I was just curious on, first, what was the motivation to create such a huge pro- uh, project, I mean, I couldn't even... I couldn't even think of how to start like overlaying something that would work for like all the systems that you designed for and how to fix things. So tell me, what was that motivation that, that got you going?
2: Well, first I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. It, it really is one of those things that for me, I've been working on this for probably over twenty years. You know, you from the first time you ever get into a football team, you I think everybody you know, there's so much ego in football where you think, man, I could just if I did it my way, it would be better than this. Like I don't like this, like that, you know, and and then I was just fortunate enough to bounce around so many systems. I got to kind of pick and pull little things that I liked or didn't like, and then basically shape it into, you know, how could we actually how could someone run this type of thing at any level and make it what I consider like comprehensive, high level offense? And so, you know, lots of systems uh, allow you to do a lot of things. But for me, I, was always, I always appreciated the capacity to have a big toolbox. And I liked going into a game with a lot of different plays that I was really excited to run and mixing those things up and having the ability to be able to basically do whatever you want and take advantage of how offense is played nowadays. And offense, to me, is played at its best at a really high tempo or at the capacity to go at a really high tempo. And so everything has to be fast. And so interweaving what I consider like an NFL-type passing game, which requires precision, anticipation, uh, detail, and being able to teach it at a lower level. So you have to have the pedagogy, the system, the understanding, and the communication to be able to call it and have it be fluid every single week and change and be adaptive. Uh, to me, was a great challenge. And really, I'd been working on a system in my mind for years. And so I finally coached a, a San Diego high school team these past three years and we basically did this from scratch and so it was kind of the evolution of this all the way through it and had a lot of success and put up a lot of points and won, won some championships here and so I just wanted to then I was like man I'm really proud of this I don't want to coach anymore but I want this system I feel like this system can live on and help a lot of people and so kind of the the output of it is this framework and why i like it as a framework is because to me a framework shows like hey these are the these are the bones of something that's really solid that you can take and build your own little nuance and niches into it can fit anything but it can allow you to carry a high volume of offense to be able to do it really quickly to do it essentially at the fastest up tempo you can imagine and also be able to be fluid and adaptive it's not hey We only run this play. We run this play all the time, and that's it. No, it's, hey, we can do anything. It's all built into the framework of this that allows you to make it more. You can condense it, but you can go as fast as you want, and you can carry a high volume. Because the thing about in the league is everybody carries a high volume because they have an earpiece, you know, and you can just say things all the time. Well, if I want to run a lot of offense but signal from the sideline and I've got a 14-year-old, you know, how do I do that? And right. How can I run that type of system? And so bridging that in an actual practical, adaptable system, to me, I had a lot of fun creating, you Now, just because I don't want to coach it anymore necessarily this year. I didn't want it to kind of die. And so I had all this kind of built up data from running it. And I just had to kind of put it together in a curriculum that uh, that would resonate with people because I always felt like, and you, you guys let me know if you have the same experience where Sometimes you feel like some of this football information is like guarded behind like this veil of secrecy. Like, what are they doing? What are they doing? Like, there's I guess everybody runs the same type of stuff. You know, there can be nuance and detail about how you teach it, how you read the progressions, those types of things that I think help coaches when they understand it. But to me, you know, that's coming from someone with a really, you know, I got to peek behind the curtain on a third of the league where there are people who want to get better, who want to improve their offense, who want to improve their understanding of the game, that don't have access to that information. And then even if they get the information, they don't know how to teach it. They don't know how to implement it. They don't know how to practice it. And so all of this kind of gets baked into this one framework that allows you to learn all of this, but then also be adaptive to make it your own. And so I had a blast putting it together. It was a big project, and uh, it's probably the biggest project I'll ever do through the quarterback school. But it, would, uh, it would damn near killed me.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, I could imagine. Uh, it, it, you know, uh, yeah. I, I real, real
0: quick, Mike. I want to say I just. Uh jt hit the nail on the head with the the jargon and the the all the stuff sometimes it feels like it's a guarded secret when everybody's talking about mostly the same stuff and i think not just with your 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 project but with your youtube videos i think that's one thing that you do really well Mm -hmm. is you're like this is what they're doing this is what we call it you know some people call it this some people call it this so if you hear it in another um context you're like oh it's the same thing yeah it's the same thing that i already saw whereas you know, you talk to to some of these people, and it feels like, um, you know, you're trying to get codes to the Pentagon. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
1: it, what a Go ahead, Mike. Uh, yeah, it's and it's yeah that also it's like different reads. You're you're like, oh, this is the same play, but instead of going, you know, from left to right, one, two, three, you're going right to left, one, two, mm-hmm. three. But it's the same play. It's it's just different. It's just different reads, and but yeah, that that that's totally um. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why. They do it with injuries, too, where they hide all try to hide as much injury as possible as well. So um, now I, I would imagine, but I don't want to uh, I'm speculating, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. What was the most difficult aspect? Was it was just uh, creating the program? Was it just from the ground floor or di- different problems that you try to, to solve? What, what, what was the most difficult aspect of creating this program?
2: Well, I mean, I, I made a lot of mistakes implementing it. You know, I was just a naive, you know, first year coach. Uh, I took over a program that went one in nine, scored 60 points the year before total. And so I made a bunch of mistakes that I probably could have smoothed out as long as far as the practitioner of it. Uh, putting it together, you know, now it's my fourth or fifth course. Uh, I really like how teachable. Uh, the platform that I use kind of lays out the content the curriculum and so that the putting it together part of it Wasn't that big of a deal. It was more just the anecdotal mistakes You know that I made along the way that I think can get smoothed out if you uh, you know I essentially I, I didn't I I'm I didn't invent a lot of the concepts So like, you know throwing a hitch or throwing a comeback, you know, those are not things that I'm necessarily recreating the recreating part is the language and so that part of it and how it fits together and how you can carry a high volume level, but also execute it really quickly to me, that that was the hardest part. And so putting those pieces together, like a big jigsaw puzzle to not only, yeah, I have to understand it. I have to coach the coaches. I got to coach the coaches in the program, but now we need the players to understand it. We need the players lower on the depth chart to understand it. And then they have to go out and execute it at a high level. And so, That part of it was fun. I just, the most frustrating part was just realizing there were many frustrating parts, but I guess the (laughs) the mistakes I made coaching, you know, whether it was staffing mistakes or not necessarily anything X's and O's wise, because really that's probably the one thing that I'm most proud of is I I do really appreciate the, the way that it fits together and why I'm so excited to share it with people is because I really think it could help every offense. You know, unless you are talking to your quarterback in their ear uh, I think the way that we, the framework allows you to do anything that you do better and probably carry more volume. And so it's just a different way, a different lens to look at offensive football as opposed to, and you guys have already alluded to it a little bit, like you'll talk to a coach and they'll be like, well, this is the read for this play and we call it Sally and whatever. And like, like well, that's just you, bro. Like everybody, you know, <laughs> we can call it whatever we want. <laughs> right. The read can be different, but can you run that fast? Can you run that out of every formation? Can you run that to one receiver? What about to four receivers? You know, how do you what do you communicate? Is it the same term? How are you teaching it? Does the read change? Does the drop change? Does the pass protection change? And so all those things are baked into the process and allows you to be much more multiple than I think a lot of coaches allow themselves to be. Like for instance, when I was coaching at the high school level, when I was playing in the league, we never did quads. You know, that, that really wasn't a thing. You'd get in a quad formation. Well, now you turn on a college football game, you see quads and zero by four formations all the time.
3: Mm-hmm. And so your
2: system has to be able to take advantage of those things. Well, for us, everything is a one word. Well, if it's one word, you know, how are you teaching the fourth receiver or the first receiver or the second receiver or the, you know, the ineligible guy, depending on how the formation is set up. And so all those things are baked into the process to allow you to do it. And it's one thing to do it, you know, at a power five school, where you get all this time with these guys in summer, but how are you going to do it at the high school level or at the junior high level or the JV level where, uh-huh. you know, you might get a kid on Tuesday and he needs to play on Saturday or Friday night. And so the reality of what that looks like, I, I'm really proud of the, of the way that you can teach it. And really I use a lot of the principles that I use at the quarterback on the, on the YouTube channel. As far as when I was in coaching high school, I just videotaped all our installations. So you get a new player, Uh, you know, go watch the video installations. You know, I'm not going to sit down the whiteboard and walk you through every single play. You got to go do your own work. And I I think a lot of players nowadays are a lot more used to doing that because of COVID zoom school, you Mm -hmm. know, all those things where they, they get the autonomy to watch it whenever they want. They can watch it multiple times. You know, things can resonate on a deeper level and you're able to scale your program and really scale your offense and your understanding at a much higher level. Like I, I have a number of stu- uh, people who enroll in my courses, but I can go back and look at how often they've watched videos and certain videos. I've got a course how to beat every coverage where there are people that have watched the, how to beat cover seven or the brackets, the saving stuff. 10 times, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they just keep watching it because they're, it, it resonates. You catch something different every single time. And, and there is a lot of detail and nuance and those type of things. And so I just love blending the different ways to learn at a higher level with what I consider to be the best communication system I've ever been around for football, and that it's scalable at any level.
1: Um, and then as far as the what was when it was all finished, what what did you find the most joyful aspect of of the of the project?
2: I, I mean, there's been a few, and it really, it's only been she's only been live for a few months, so not a lot of people. Uh, I've got one person running it right now in South America. I've got a couple people running it in Europe. And so just, I think the initial kind of two parts, one, the, the thankfulness that the information is available and shareable from these coaches that are just starving for more information and more what they consider higher level stuff than necessarily, you know, a diagram on the internet or, a, you know, a playbook that they stumble upon or PDF. And so the thankfulness of how it's set up and how not only is it set up, but how it's, I really am trying to be intentional with teaching the coaches how to teach it. You know, so you can go online and find a clinic with a coach teaching, you know, talking about the technique. Teach it, you know, and so I really go into what I consider the detail and nuance about how to teach the concepts, how to teach the techniques. And then the other part about it is just the shock of, how much of it there is? There's just the volume of it. There's, yep. you know, well, well over 30 games, well over 30, you know, three years of practice plans. How to plan the practice? You know, mm-hmm. practice footage, uh, signals. All the signals are baked in there, and so it's it's really a turnkey operation that saves a lot of people kind of the uh, the mental gymnastics that I went through over 20 years to just say here, hey, this and and it works. You know, that that's the other thing about it. it it's it's proven mm-hmm. over three years to uh to score a lot of points and, and have a lot of fun running it so those have been my favorite parts so far
1: and then let's talk a little bit about your other courses if you want um you have the tempo the pass protection rpo and others is, is any of them that you want to highlight or um, any you want to go into detail about or um those courses any of them that i didn't mention
2: yeah i mean i they each have a little special spot for me uh, I personally probably think the the courses, the how to beat every coverage course has probably done better than I would have shot or would have imagined. And I think it's because it resonates with people who aren't necessarily players or coaches. Like there are just diehards that want to know how to beat quarters. I want to know how to beat two man and, you know, brackets. And there's a lot of people, you know, that, that just don't feel like they don't have access to that information. And so that one has really taken off and is kind of a life of its own, as far as the the amount of people that will come in and enroll in that course. Uh, The one that I'm probably the most proud of that impacted me personally as a player, the information is the pass protection course. You know, I think it's really important for quarterbacks specifically, and it resonates uh, probably more with the players, the quarterbacks, young quarterbacks who maybe aren't asked to do that in their high school program or even their college program. I've had guys who are going into the draft this past year, take the course, you know, Mm. on their own. And so, you know, they're, they're just not asked to do that, what they're asked to do at the NFL level with pass protection. And so they're, they're starving for that information. And so I'm proud of that because that really impacted my playing career. Once I felt like I had a command of the line of scrimmage and I didn't necessarily know every call in the run game at that time, but I knew every call in the pass protection game. I knew where my hots were all the time. It just takes, it's a huge relief. And you have to be able to do it in real time at the line of scrimmage. But for me, I felt like it really gave me a huge advantage. And I felt like it was one of those things that it's certainly learnable. You have to be able to, to go in there and dive in and, and understand it. But I felt like I had a great teacher and it was important for me to share that information and the way that I learned it to then hopefully kind of uh, help other guys along the same path.
1: Awesome. And then I have one more question for you. But before I ask this question, I have to tell you that um, one of the things that I wanted to say to you um, when you agreed to come (laughs) Uh on the show. (laughs) Uh um, No, but really, uh, honestly, was um, a I respect your honesty when you when you review these and you talk about the I mean, you you just you're, you're just honest about what you see. And that is just so refreshing. B, I love your teaching aspects and how you teach. Um, that, that is another thing that gravitated me toward towards you. And then third, um, the quality of videos that you put out. Um, so all three of those things I wanted to say personally, thank you very much. Um, you, you're going to have a fan uh, Patreon in life with me. So um, <laughs> thank you very much for that. But final question before I pass you off to Walker. Um, how much fun was it to go through the 1947 Rose Bowl game, USC versus Michigan?
2: <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate the uh, compliments. I, I really do. I pro- Probably the one that resonates the most with me is just the, the teaching element of it. You know, I'll always be a recovering grad student, you know, and so it's, <laughs> uh, it's one of those things where uh, I appreciate, I appreciated people that I felt like did a good job of being really clear and concise but also authentic, you know, and relatable with you. And you're talking about being honest. I think yep. that there's a lot of, you know, a lot of fake, fake truth in this, uh, space where people pretend like they have all the answers when really mm-hmm. there's so many different ways to do it. And so I, I, just think it's, it's worth naming those things when it comes up. Uh, and then as far as the quality, I'll certainly let my brother know he's my, he's a cinematographer. And so he, <laughs> uh, he hooked, he hooks me up with the whole setup. So I feel I hijacked that from him for sure. But, uh, That Rose Bowl game was fun, man. I forget. Oh, no, I remember. It's from, like, the Michigan library or something, where they have all those videos uh, from back in the day, the entire, like, Michigan catalog. And it was fun for me as a high school coach because we had, you know, not necessarily, like, belly G stuff that they used to do back in the day, but a lot of counter trap and carry a lot of that. And I secretly, I don't know if it comes across in the channel, but I love the run game. Like, I really, really, really love the run game, especially as a coach. And so it was fascinating to see those different formations, mm-hmm. uh, how they move around, the tempo of the game. You know, there's a, there's a there were some pretty cool creativity, some shifts, a lot of unbalanced, you know, things that I did at the high school level that I think people don't do enough of, maybe at the higher levels with unbalanced lines, different formations, uh, you know, just a window into how I think as a play caller, I really think in flanks. And so what I mean by that is, you know, how many eligibles to a side, how many linemen to a side, how many eligibles to a side, and then how they are arranged, you know? So is it a, is it a tight end in line? Is it a wing? Is it a nub? You know, is it a back? Is it, you know, an open eligible? Are there two receivers? You know, is there a bunch? And so those old school films, you know, everything is unbalanced. Everything is a wing. Everything is short motion and it just puts a lot of stress on a defense. So, I actually incorporated a number of those things into what we did this past year, just because I thought, man, this is going to put a lot of stress on the defense. You know, it just it does, and uh, it was fun to see it. Now the video quality is tough. Yeah,
3: um, it was pretty rough. <laughs>
2: kind of, as kind of a, a you know frame rate guy nowadays, yeah. but uh, yeah. the uh, it was it was fun. I, I I should go back and do do some more. I just that one was so easy because Kansas City came out and kind of named it for me, so I could go back and see exactly what it was. But it was fun to go back and, and kind of see where the roots of some of these things are. And mm-hmm. so many people think that, you know, you hear all the time that, you know, the league is a copycat league. Everything is cyclical. You know, everything will, it's going to go back to the under center running game. Uh, you know, it was fun to kind of look at the stats and realize, you know, they're in shotgun all the time. They're snapping it to their best player. They're essentially running condensed wildcat and uh, with a lot of fancy motions and, and and shifts. And so it was fun. I had a blast going back there and doing it. I should, should do it again.
1: That was really fun. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate your time. And and, then Walker uh, carried away. You got the rookie quarterbacks up. So
0: real quick before we talk about rookie quarterbacks, I just want to as a former high school athlete who had I didn't play football, I played basketball, but I had to watch so many videos that my coach ordered out of a magazine or off of some late night infomercial where it was just like, here's Coach K teaching you this stuff. Go do it. To teach the teachers is such a, a a revelation, and it's it sounds so simple, but it's such a great like aspect to have to your to to your videos because I can tell you I didn't learn a whole lot from Coach K in those videos.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's really another hidden thing about coaching, as, as you guys if you are into that or not into that, but one of the things that kind of hidden things is you you have to have a plan to coach the coaches. You know, I always think of the head coach, the main job of a head coach in in what I consider a a well-functioning program is they're not really going to, hopefully they don't have to call the plays, hopefully they're not a coordinator, hopefully they're not coaching a position. They're really, their whole job is to coach the coaches and kind of be in charge of the culture of the team, the organization. And uh, I didn't have the, I had to do other things, but the, one of the things that I thought was as frustrating as coaching the players was coaching the coaches. And so having a real system in place to be able to do that consistently, make it kind of an open forum where they don't, you know, sometimes coaches won't ask questions if it's in front of the team, you know, they don't want to come off saying like, oh, what, you know, what are the steps on this run? What's the read on this? You know, so many coaches, they have no idea, you know, what an offensive line coach has no idea what a pass progression is in many programs or God forbid you start doing RPOs and who are you reading and stuff like that, where coaches just don't. It, not everybody has the answers to that, and so to be in an open forum, I thought was something that was one of the things that we did really well. Now it takes up a shitload of time, and it and, <laughs> and it and it's caught, and it really is, it does. But I think it's worth it in the end because I I think coaches that are in a good spot, that feel comfortable, that feel like you create a space for them to learn and get better, will will do a better job coaching. And I I just was fortunate with that.
0: Yeah. So all right, Walker, you want to take it away with the rookie rookie quarterbacks here which i'm i am i am excited to talk about this class because we've been kind of holding off waiting for jt to come because uh (laughs) it was a wild wild uh three days of the draft how things shook out
4: yeah absolutely uh i just wanted to say and this isn't necessarily a question really because i do want to get onto the rookies but i really appreciate um you, you mentioned communication a lot and i think that's huge um you know, in the limited coaching experience that I've had, that, that direct line of communication is, is, is massive. And it's clear that you're coming at your philosophy from a a basis of intelligence about the subject, but you're not overcomplicating things. It's Mm -hmm. smart, but it's easy to understand. And I think that that's the biggest thing that I love about it is that it's something that is easy to teach and is malleable. And it's, I, I, I dislike rigidity in in sports, and so I, I appreciate that your framework is not rigid. Same.
0: All right, Walker. <laughs> let's let's right. talk rookie quarterbacks.
4: All right. So yeah, as as Jeff said, uh, you know, with with Kenny Pickett going in the first, and and no quarterbacks going until the third. Uh, my first question is. Which of the quarterbacks do you think was is either most under the radar or was most under drafted?
2: I mean, I would probably push back and say that they were drafted right where they deserve to be drafted. Mm -hmm. You know, I I know that that's not necessarily like a a a sexy answer, Mm -hmm. but I mean that that's thirty two teams passing on those guys. Like it really like I mean multiple times. Mm -hmm. And so, as someone who's been passed on multiple times, there's a reason. And, uh, you know, certainly you can look back at guys like Russell Wilson and say, man, you know, but even those guys, he got passed on for a reason at the time. You know, they didn't know what that he was going to be. Russell Wilson, his film didn't show like he showed, you know, since coming in the league. And so, you know, if it was up to me, you know, I probably think Malik Willis probably should have been drafted, could have been drafted. I should say this could have been drafted earlier with with valid reasons as far as taking a swing at somebody, especially once you get into the late second, third round. But, you know, I, I, I think those guys are, some of them are in better situations than others. You know, I, I think Kenny Pickett is fortunate to be in kind of the situation he's at with the Steelers and the stability of that organization. But, man, if anything, it was just an indictment on the class. And uh, I think everybody, I know you guys are excited to talk about these guys, but I'm probably more excited to talk about the guys next year. You know, it felt like everybody was just like, you know what? We'll roll with what we have. And we know there's a couple guys coming down the pipe that could be transformational guys. And so if we're going to take a shot, you know, let, let's, let's hit the pause button and take a shot next year.
3: Yep.
2: Yeah, That's
4: exactly. Yep. No, I, I, uh, you know, I, I didn't have any, I'm obviously, I'm nowhere near professional, but, um, I didn't have any first round grades on quarterbacks in this class. Um, You did mention 2023, so on that subject, I did want to ask, um, you know, we all know C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young are are thought of as the big prizes. Who's a
2: guy outside those top two that you're really excited for? Uh, Well, selfishly, I'm excited for the dude at Kentucky. Uh, Levis, Mm -hmm. uh, i got a buddy of mine as the offense coordinator out there and uh, I'm excited to see kind of what he looks like, what his growth looks like. I've only watched really one game of his, and it wasn't a good game, so I'll probably mm-hmm. get in there and, and do some more just to have a better kind of framework of where he started versus where I think he'll get with Rich. Uh, but there's another guy that everybody keeps telling me about that I need to watch, but I don't have the All-22. The uh, I think he's Miami. No mm-hmm. oh, Van Dyke. Yeah, so I haven't watched any of him, but uh, I've heard really good things. But, I mean, I don't know, man. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, those guys have the potential to, to walk right in and be significant playmakers. I mean, it, I know people kind of, you know, are nervous about Bryce Young's size or whatever. I, I think the game has evolved a little bit more than people realize when it comes to the size thing. But it's the, the anticipation, the polish, the high level that those guys have played at, the things that they have on film, you know, in condensed pockets that look like the NFL, you know, they're they're really special and it's going to be uh, they're, they're going to, they're going to make an impact in the league right away. And so it's a, uh, it's tough to be, I get it as especially, you know, fan bases who are starving for a quarterback, you know, and you, you can look across the league at a number of fan bases that are either in transition or trying to figure out what's next or kind of even for like the 49ers, like they might have their guy on the roster, but he hasn't played yet, you know, so mm-hmm. you're in transition. And so it's just the, the uncertainty of it. But, uh, you know, you look across the landscape of the league, man, and these young guys just lit the league on fire. And so if you don't have one of those guys or you don't have a Hall of Famer, you're kind of like in this weird limbo. Like, you know, what the hell are we going to do at this position? And, you know, certainly uh, the Rams have a blueprint. I don't think it's a, necessarily a replicable blueprint where you can go out and get all these all pros all around you and then go get another guy who's just undisturbed at a shitty franchise for a you know a decade to come be your guy so they you know it's a it's tough out there if you don't if you don't have if you don't have a guy you don't have a young guy in the league it feels like you're almost like you're up against it and when Mm -hmm. you look across the landscape especially in the afc i mean it's a it's it's bloody out there
0: yeah yeah the afc is wild right now it's with young talent you look at it and you just you know Mac Jones was a you know, first round pick played like a first round pick played fine, but he might be the like seventh or eighth best young quarterback in the AFC. It's, it's wild though. It's, it's, it's very happy to be rooting for an NFC team is, is all I'll say about that. So,
4: yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, and as a Lions fan uh, you're certainly not wrong.
3: Uh, he, <laughs> Matthew Stafford
4: was absolutely wasted here. And I'm, I'm glad as a, Lions fan who always liked him uh, to kind of prove the the naysayers in our fan base wrong that there that he did you know with mm-hmm. with his win but uh yeah I mean I there's not a whole lot more honestly to talk about with this rookie class because you said it these guys got drafted right around where they should uh, yeah I did want to ask specifically about um, do you think that Matt Corral starts in Carolina this year
2: probably. You know, just because of what Sam Darnold, the track record of what Sam Darnold has been doing up until this time, I don't think he's necessarily better than Sam Darnold. You know, I just think that the reality is that that, that situation in Carolina is a dumpster fire, you know? And so what, what they are offensively, who knows what they're going to look like with whoever's playing quarterback, uh, whoever's calling the plays. Uh, it certainly hasn't gone the way that people would have thought under the rule, uh, Kind of coaching staff, and so it I just anticipate it being ugly. Not necessarily because mm-hmm. he goes out there and wins the job, or is significantly better than Sam Darnold or whoever else they have in line there. I just think it's it's a bad situation to be to be in for anybody. The 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 other one that I'm kind of interested to see, I, I always look at these situations a few different lenses. So the first one is what's the quality of the organization. So mm-hmm. to me, that's you know. Uh, stability, ownership, head coach, you know, are they in transition? Are there, you're always going to have offense coordinators leaving, quarterback coaches leaving, but is the head coach stable? Are they in a good spot? Uh, And then if they're, if that's one lens, the other lens is who's playing quarterback is, you know, are you going to get an opportunity to compete or are you there to grow? And, you know, some of these guys are in situations where they could come in and play right away. So I think of Matt Corral, I think of Sam Howell, you know those those situations are not solidified. You know they might have a guy like, for instance, Davis Mills last year. You know, they, all of a sudden he's a starter. You know, he's there's a there's a franchise that that is given him this year to be the starter. Now is he the starter for the next decade? We'll see. But that's a good situation for a young guy to go in and get a lot of reps. And so I think that there, you know, is that situation the same for Ritter? You know, I don't know. I, th- I think that they're going to give Mariota a chance. Now, I, you know, does he play the whole year? We'll see. But uh, you know, you look across the landscape of where these guys landed, and uh, I think some spots are better than others.
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, and then uh, my my final questions for you. Uh, first off, which current starting quarterback do you think is most likely to have a breakout season this year, and, and what's the reasoning? Oh, what's a breakout season to you? Just, uh, I would say a, a, a fairly significant improvement on what they've previously done in the league.
2: Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't. For me, it, it's uh, that's tough because so many of these young guys, to me, have already had like breakout seasons. You know, I, I, I sure. would look for. I would look, you know, and this is kind of cheating as the answer, but I would look for a guy like, you know, it's hard to pick a guy who's already been the MVP of the league. But to me, you know, I think Lamar Jackson could have another type of year where he kind of elevates himself out of, you know, I think a lot of people look at the AFC North and they might not even put him, you know, in the, in the top two where all of a sudden, you know, he he could have another MVP type year. And so, you know, that's kind of hedging it a little bit. I don't, you know, it's, it's tough to pick, you know, the AFC West is filled with guys, you know, that, that could potentially do the same thing, but they've already had, you know, like to me, Kyler Murray's already had a bit of a breakout year. You know, I, I think that's another situation that's going to be potentially really tough if it, things go sideways quickly in a really tough division, but you know, the, the guys that I'm probably most interested in, and this is not going to be a quarterback answer, are probably going to be Marcus Mariota and Ryan Tannehill, just because I like how those guys play. Uh, I think, obviously, the Titans are a much better situation. But they, they potentially, you know, they've got someone at their heels. They're, they're, you, you usually go two ways. You either really elevate your game and you solidify yourself for the next half decade, or, you know, there's a young guy right behind you. And so they're in good opportunities because they get a chance to play. But again, are those guys going to have breakout years? Like Ryan Tannehill, probably not going to have a breakout year. Marcus Mariota, maybe, you know, ha- has not played. People kind of forget how good he was at a time or mm-hmm. potentially how good he was. And so there just aren't, uh, we, you already touched on it a little bit, where the, the young guys have already kind of broken on the scene. And you're kind of like, wow, this is unbelievable. I don't think anybody's going to have like the Josh Allen type level of improvement. I also think that that's outlier uh, expectations. to think that people yes. are going to get significantly yes. better like that. But like the other one, the other one that comes to mind, you know, just like interesting wise for me will be Daniel Jones. You know, he's a guy who technically could, you know, if he comes in there and Brian Dable is able to do anything like he was able to do in Buffalo. And I'm not sure that he will be able to do that because I think Josh Allen is a unicorn, but you know, potentially he's a type of guy that could have that type of year where you're like, whoa, you know, where's this been? You know, I don't think he necessarily will, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but those are the types of like little spaces where I could see that type of uh, that type of thing happening. That would be fun and in- interesting for the league.
0: Yeah. Uh, the the Josh Allen uh, breakout has has uh, breathed new life into a lot of uh, hope for middling quarterbacks. And I agree. It was sort of a uh, it, it's not what you should be expecting. <laughs> but a lot of no. a lot of fan bases are looking <laughs> and going, well, you know, it happened for Josh Allen. And it's like, well, he's a special guy.
1: Right. <laughs> it's a total outlier. Right. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, then, uh, uh, oh, go ahead, Walker.
1: Yeah. Just, just last
4: thing. Uh, is there a quarterback that you feel like based on media perception uh, around the league is going to disappoint this year that their expectations are just built up too high?
2: Uh, I mean, I, I think the AFC West, you know, is, is potentially filled with those situations mm-hmm. to be honest with you. you know, I'm not sure which one it's going to be. Uh, But, uh, you know, it's just uh, it's one of those things where the expectations for guys who maybe haven't done it for a long time at a high level or at a new place, you know, it's tough to go in there and replicate what potentially could have been a really good organization, you know, into a new opportunity and and be able to do that. And or, you know, I, I think, you know, Herbert, the Herbert thing has always been going to be fascinating to me because he's he's played so well. You know, if he if 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 you can maintain that level or improve that level, I mean, it, it's it's almost like shocking. It, it isn't almost. It's shockingly good. I mean, because really, people pretend like, oh, everybody missed on him on the draft. Da, da, da. Well, the Chargers missed on him. You know, yeah. if they if, right. if he wasn't playing. He wasn't playing. Right. You know, he, playing. Mm-hmm. If if he doesn't take a needle to the lung, mm-hmm. you know, he's not playing. And right. so, you know, it's one of those things where. It still kind of baffles a little bit of me to just understand that, you know, sometimes you just get out there and there are guys that are just thoroughbreds and freaks. And so at some point, I think that there's a little regression to the mean with that type of stuff. But, you know, everybody I've ever talked to that had anything to do with him is like, nope, that's who it is. That's how he plays all the time. And so it's one of those things that kind of, you know, you just keep kind of shaking your head and, and hope it continues just because it's so good for so long that you just want to see it year in and year out.
0: Yeah, Justin Herbert is one of my great what ifs because, yeah, I always bring it up where it's, you know, if the Chargers staff doesn't slip with that needle, you know, what is our perception of Justin Herbert heading into, I assume he would have started last year, but heading into that year too, you know, not only changes the perception of Justin Herbert, but the landscape of the entire AFC West. Do we see this uh, arms race if that needle doesn't slip, you know? And it's just a very, a, a very interesting, you know, few millimeters. They say it's a game of inches, but a few millimeters changed the, the course of, oh. of a whole franchise, really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, Walker, you have, uh, you have any other questions for the, for the, the, for the pro and the rookie quarterbacks?
4: Uh, over under six and a half wins for the Lions this year.
3: <laughs> Walker.
2: Uh, under. The uh, uh I, I'm, I'm a bi- I I love I, I'm a big fan of Dan Campbell. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure we either played together. I think we played together somewhere. But uh, he's a unique dude, and uh he is he's, a like, got those guys going in the same in the right direction. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah he's a very That's unique it. guy, and um, uh, with his uh coffee order, I'm sure you've heard about his coffee order. Uh
2: no, What's what his what coffee order?
0: What's his coffee oh, order, boy. Walker? Because you drank it one time for the for yeah, the podcast. I drank
4: it for a podcast. Um, it's two. Uh, he goes to Starbucks and he gets just their like house roast. He gets two of the largest size black coffee with double shot of espresso. So it en- ends up being a
2: thousand milligrams of caffeine. He drinks that every morning. Wait, he gets two venti <laughs> ones and then with both yep. of them with double shots. Yeah. Yep. What I call those are those black eyes. They're either black eyes or red They're, eyes. Um, They're red eyes. eyes,
0: red eyes. Yeah, yeah he gets the yeah, biggest yeah, red yeah. eyes possible.
2: Yeah, that's rough.
0: So that's how you that's become a unique guy like Daniel. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> that, that definitely. <laughs> so, um, uh-oh, we've got JT uh, I'm,
2: on the. I'm, move got, here. I'm getting, I'm getting, my, I'm getting an additional power source.
0: Okay. All right. Well, we're 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 almost settled here. Um. So, um. Yeah, we're actually going to do the outros here. So, uh, JT, um, you know, we can find you. We'll have links to your Patreon, to, you know, QB School on YouTube. We'll have links to your Twitter. Um, but is there anything else you wanted to make sure that people know about? Um, you know, where can we talked about this offensive framework project. Where can people find that?
2: Uh, yeah, so I host all the quarterback school courses on the site called Teachable. Uh, the link is usually in the description to the video uh, really everything that I offer is on all the links to the videos on YouTube. And uh, there's a the other thing that I like to plug because the courses are not free and, uh, you know, for for a number of different reasons, but there are there is some free content that I think helps a lot of people. Uh, there's a free quick game course that you can sign up for uh, in the description to every video. There's a couple other, there's a pass pro quiz and a kind of play calling tool. And so it really just allows you to kind of pretend like you're a play caller and go up against different coverages with based on what your personnel is and see what some good answers are. And so they're little windows into how the courses are structured. And, uh, I like it just cause it's kind of gamey, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, it's one of those things that, uh, I, I understand that not everybody has the resources to, uh, to pull for one of these courses, but it's, it's one of the things that, uh, I, I love for people to have access to some of the information to be able to uh, to enjoy it. Because really, at the end of the day, what I'm trying to do, and the reason I got into this kind of space is just because I was starving for this information. And I felt like there wasn't any, there weren't resources available. Now this was kind of early internet days, but there weren't, you know, there wasn't a spot I could go to and ask questions or feel like I was getting information that, uh, that wasn't some kind of filtered kind of propaganda to sell you know your system your offense or those types of things you know outside of old books and so that's kind of really the genesis of the of the channel and then it's just kind of grown into its own little thing as far as the Patreon community and the uh the courses that I have a lot of fun with.
0: Well awesome. We'll uh I'll put together a whole link thing so people can check out all that stuff uh that that you talked about. I was I was frantically writing down notes on uh, on all the stuff to make sure I got it covered. So um, yeah, I want to thank you for coming. Um, it was a blast. I've been looking forward to this. Um yeah, me too. Yeah, so uh, I want to thank you for your insight and for you know being open and honest with us. And uh, yeah, everybody, check out the my favorite YouTube account. I always load it up when I have ten minutes and just find a random video and just you know, if you watch a video for ten minutes, you'll learn something. Yeah. Oh yeah, easy. easy. Not, not yeah, necessarily there, about holy stuff there. Yeah. Not even just about a player, but like about like, hey, this thing he does here, that's it's a little thing you might not notice, but it's wrong. Or right. this is what you want to do. So load it up for ten minutes, you'll find something to watch. And uh, yeah, so thanks for joining us, JT. We'll get like I said, linked to everything in the uh, in the um, description. And um, yeah, yeah, have a great day.
2: I right, appreciate you. it, all Kind of blast. Yeah. Right. Thank, Thank you. So you. Much take care. care. All right. Take care. All right. See you guys. Thanks. Bye. That was yeah. fun. Bye. Bye.
0: I I kicked out J.T.O. Sullivan from the call. Oh, no. You did?
4: Jeff got him right out of here.
0: He left. He left right as I was trying to close it for him. So it says Uh that I kicked him out of the call. Oh, no.